Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the podcast from the marketing minds at doconvert.com, where we talk about the current state of all things digital and how they impact home builders and developers around the globe. We're not here to sell you, we're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. I'm Kevin Oakley, and with me today, as always, is the ad doctor, Andrew Peak. We are here, episode 107. Becca is with us this week. Hi. Great to see y'all in real life. Yeah. And your, your office has been getting upgrades slowly but surely. Slowly yeah. but surely. Your wife reached <laughs> out to get the Market Free Marketing logo, I think, to add on to a, a beaker. Yeah, do you see in the corner? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I have, for those that can't see me, which is everybody, I have vertical, like <laughs> navy blue shiplap going up, secret project in the middle, whiteboard thing. And then I have like white little boxes with something. And then she put, I guess, it, I don't know where it came from, but it's probably something I said. There's like beakers and it has the Market Proof Marketing logo and then the DYC logo. And there's a third one. We couldn't figure out what to put there. <laughs> so, and then this other one, I have my headphones in hanging out. So it's, yeah, it's coming together. Don't look this way though. though. That's, that's, we had the, uh, yeah, we had some people here. So I'm like, why is all this stuff in my office? It was so peaceful. Now it's like, why, why is that there? The joys of, of working from home. I know. Just throw it in the corner. <laughs> let's uh, let's hop into story time. Th- thanks, by the way, to... Actually, I haven't listened. Were Mike and Jen both on? Yeah, they were both on. It was fun. <laughs> it was like um, my very first DYC dinner was Orlando um, IBS 2016 or something. It felt like... I'm like, this is going old school. It's like Mike and Jen, like way back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> that little diner after, um, I forgot the Wednesday night cocktail thing at the mm-hmm. Builder Show. Yep. Not the name of it, whatever it's called. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was fun though. Yeah, it was well, fun thanks episode. for those guys for hopping in. I'm back from the land where apparently COVID's not allowed to exist, Hilton Head, North Carolina. And there That's were right. no masks anywhere and we weren't sure whether to be freaked out or go along with the ride. But once you're there, you're there. What else are you going to do? Yeah. And yeah. It was a good time had by all. I Nice. I don't know if this is going to end up on social media or not. Probably not. Hopefully not. But I did eat a live fish. Oh, what kind of fish? (laughs) That's a good question. It had like rather long fins at the top and bottom. But it was like, I don't know. It was like the size of a silver dollar. Oh, okay. Kind of like a square sized fish. It was round. Ish, yeah, you know, thing. I try to I try to do things that my kids will remember and talk about forever. Did you, like, was this at a restaurant? That's no, 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 we were just we went back to the beach in okay. the evening, and <laughs> they were using nets to try to catch minnows and whatever else, and they caught some fish. And my youngest son Mason, I don't know where this came from, but he's like, "Dad, can I take this little eat fish it. home, cut it up, cook it, and eat it?" And I was like. Why wait? Let's just eat it now. And he's got his eyes got huge, and he was like, "What? Like now? Now?" I was like, "Yeah, I'll eat it if you give me five bucks." <laughs> Man, you or something. He just went right along with the game, so I <laughs> ate it and um, or I swallowed it. I didn't chew it, which was a mistake. Uh, Did you? I, I, I definitely felt it. I feel like it kind of oh. got stuck. And then yeah. my rest of my family started freaking out because I was, you know, beating my chest trying to make it go down, and it was we didn't. Fl- yeah, we didn't Flapping. have any water, and and I could feel. Yeah, this is uh, a different kind of episode already, right? Uh, I could feel it doing that is, motion, Becca, in my right. throat for oh a good gosh. minute and a half. I would. I was like, I I'm not, not choking. I can breathe. I'm fine. But the rest of my family is freaking out. Oh my! It's fresh. Uh, like that is yeah. as fresh as you can get. So, and yes. mission accomplished. They still 
I mean, it's only been two weeks, but they're still like, Dad, remember that time you ate the fish? At least it it wasn't a nice. bat or something weird that nice. will then turn into a different wave. We could blame it on Kevin. Yeah. For no, there is there is video evidence in one day. <laughs> okay, good. One just, day. Just watch the socials. You might see. Yeah. It's amazing. Kevin Oakley survivor. that one if oh, it gosh. makes it to That's social. Awesome. That is awesome. <laughs> okay, sorry. That total, That's a good story. Thank That's you, Mike and Jen, story. for being on the podcast last week. Let's hop into story time. Becca, you got something you want to talk about, huh? Yeah, so we've been in our house for about a year, and it's time to do, it's actually past time to do our year warranty, but since COVID hit, there was, they sent out a big letter to everybody and said, hey, we're going to push this back. And now it's the time where they're starting to think about it again. So today we had our first guy come. Actually, he came yesterday. He said, oh, you need a new downspout. I said, yes. He goes, they gave me the wrong elbows. Those won't match. I'll be back Mm. tomorrow. So he shows up at 2.30. And I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, because I'm thinking it's going to be super loud while we're trying to record mm-hmm. gone by 245 oh. quick put in a new downspout nice. everything's great <laughs> yeah i had a similar I- experience with uh with gutters and downspouts we live in a used home the only time i've ever lived anywhere again that i did not build and i hate it because of that we got to fix this problem sooner than later but we had an issue with gutters and downspouts called up a company and they're like, well, we're just going to go ahead and inspect all of them, even though there's the one that has the issue. I mean, they were yeah. gone. There was three of them, which I wasn't expecting. There and gone and done in like 11 minutes. They had cleaned out <laughs> everything, replaced like four different things. They were gone move on their wow. lives. Like that is, that's efficient right there. That is efficient. Yeah. This, this was like an issue with flow. So anything over a light mist, um, Ooh, the mist. rain would, <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> would overflow the one gutter. I don't know if it will wasn't steep enough or there's just too yeah. much rainfall, but it would overflow, go down the side of the house and kind of come up under into the soffit. So uh, oh. we're like, eh, we yeah, maybe need to think about fixing that. We're like, yep, they have any let's do it. Different procedures or paperwork or anything that they're making you do because of what's going on right now? Um, they sent an email out that said anybody that comes to do work, if it's on the inside of the house, you'll have to sign a waiver. They're all supposed to be social distancing and wearing masks. And if one of the subcontractors does not, then to contact them directly. Hmm. Or not the subcontractor, but the builder. So gotcha. that's about that's about the only thing. I think, um, if, I think if they don't, it doesn't it also say in there you can just spray them with liquid um, yeah. sanitizer <laughs> yes. to whatever amount you decide is appropriate. <laughs> yeah. Get the hose out without warning. <laughs> without warning, I'll I'll give my quick story. It's just the uh, continuation of yours with our builder down here in Tampa, um, and it, I think the, I, we built with KB. I think it's been on the podcast a bunch. Uh-huh. They just extended the time when we we closed coming up on a year, so they're giving everyone two years instead of a year. So they've been quite slow to reach out to everybody, but they also had some reorganization. It, it looked like with the whole division. But we have a list of things that are just like like weird that they need to fix. Everyone else is making a big list in the neighborhood as well, which is fun. But they're also finally fixing the, I don't know if I mentioned this or not, like the drainage in the whole neighborhood. 
was never done mm-hmm. correctly. Then someone did a formal complaint with like water management, and then that finally got the uh, got them to uh, to fix it. So, yay! So hopefully hurricane season. We were worried last year, like what's going to happen? Hurricanes going to come, and a flood. Yeah, all it's the houses kind of a big or something. deal yeah. where you are. Yeah, kind of big deal. <laughs> yeah. yeah, kind of big deal. Especially like there's standing water in it. It's not made to be with any standing water. So yeah, they're doing they're doing a good job. Good. Yeah, two, two, two years yeah. is is a nice nice approach to it. Yeah, that's a well, long time. Yeah, I like that. Let's switch away from being nice because you all know I'm not a big fan oh, of being man. nice. Like I'm not a nice person. <laughs> if you didn't know that, Cranky if you've never Kevin. worked with I'm I'm really not a nice person. I pretend to be one on the <laughs> podcast. Uh, okay. <laughs> I want to encourage all of my fellow dark side marketers to tap into that energy right now with mm-hmm. the market being so amazingly good. This is just a secret between us 600 people here. Uh, you should run experiments right now that you that you want to have the success be shown, meaning something that people won't let you do, haven't let you do. Just be like, hey, can we maybe just do a small little test? I mean, I know this is a crazy idea and it's probably going to be, it probably won't even work. So let's just do a real small test because guess what? Yeah. Right now it is going to work. Like Everything will work. Yeah. 100% of anything you try is going to show fantastic <laughs> results. I had someone mention that uh, a large builder is cutting their advertising by 50% because they don't need more leads than what they have. Wow. That will work. I know of another builder who has said, hey, we'll spend 25% more. That will work. <laughs> I guess That's great. it's all going to work right <laughs> now. So, so running, but that also means you have to be careful about what experiments you accept. So if your operations team, sales leadership, whatever, is asking you to, to try a test of something that you know will not work, like billboards, then be very careful because the data might also say that billboards are going to be something that works too. In the current, that won't be good. (laughs) Yeah, if he's stuck with billboards again, oh man, Mm -hmm. that's not good. You know, I liked your tweet the other day, uh, Kevin. The the one that um, let's say I got to pull it up here on June twenty third. The the three part one or two part one, however many parts. (laughs) Do you remember which one I'm talking about? No, they just okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll read the last part. It was like doing foundational work on the problems slash opportunities likely to gain traction in the next three to five years, even if they don't make financial sense today. You never know when another event will happen accelerating the adoption much sooner than expected. I was like, yeah, we need to keep the pace of doing things. So this kind of fits fits in there. Like keep keep doing this fun stuff. Um, especially as like yep. down in Florida we're having crazy like the mm, it's not looking not looking fun. Yeah. Um, with our cases. So I just I'm gonna be spending a lot of my limited free time thinking about what are those things in the next five years. And trying to get as specific as I can on that, look for that piece of content to come out fairly soon. But I, I had, um, I guess I'll throw this news and story time piece together. I was just interviewed by Denise Durson, the publisher, pro builder for something that they started called The Weekly, which is a, it's a 30-minute streaming segment, uh, basically a, a sh- television show for the web. And um, we had like about a 10-minute conversation. And one of those things she asked me was, you know, what's going to stick? What's the thing that's going to continue to to be important for builders to be thinking about? And I'm not going to give you my answer that I told her because oh, man. you're going to go watch that, obviously. I don't want you to have to hear the same thing twice. But I do have another one that I, I'm hoping is is quasi-controversial. And, and that is that I think virtual events have actually been more successful and have done more for the builders who have done them well in terms of gaining results, hmm. sales results. Than virtual sales have been during COVID. 
Now, time out. I'm not talking about online sales. I'm not talking about our favorite <laughs> new home specialists. <laughs> what I'm talking about is true virtual sales where, hi, I'm the salesperson sitting in a model on Zoom, on FaceTime, et cetera. I'm going to walk you through the sales process. While that, that needed to happen and still is happening to, to some degree, it's, it's overall been more about continuing the process forward, not creating new opportunities or closing out those opportunities faster. It's again, a lot of times we talked about ex- kind of extended the number of touch points that a customer is having with a salesperson or a company before they end up purchasing. But virtual events, those are here to stay. No like doubt a about it. Brand opening for a community or virtual events of all kinds, honestly. Anything like yeah. floor plan release, party. Or I don't know if that's a thing. We had, uh, you know, we had young properties on to talk about their experience, which they did again. They, they've done it twice now. So lightning has struck twice, twice and that's twice is nice. fantastic. We have builders on the East Coast who have done it. We have builders in the South who have done it. On the East Coast, it was a builder who, they sold 22 homes in, uh, the, in the first week, completely virtual uh, process. Slightly different. They had an, a private internal webinar, essentially, versus... Mm-hmm. Um, doing something streaming, streaming publicly. But the, the ability, you know, right now we've talked about this. We originally had a, had a distribution problem with, with, with home builders. The access to talk to people who knew all the information you needed was still hard. We were putting a lot of stuff online, but it was still hard. Come between your normal work hours or on the weekends. And on the weekends, we have limited hours, et cetera. We just made it hard. We fixed that during COVID because we thought we have no choice. We got to let people come and interact with us anywhere, anyhow, anytime. Now I've got a bandwidth problem and virtual events help solve that bandwidth problem. Not the one-to-one, but it helps more people get in at the beginning, I think, and it helps more people move along. Uh, and, and so one builder was asking, what else should I be thinking about right now? And these, these folks have like 400% more leads than they did last year. Their sales are on pace, their profitability is on pace, they're a fantastic company. I'm like, man, just only everything that makes sales more efficient or happen faster without giving up customer service. And so one really dumb example that I was telling them to think about virtual events was, what if you did like a 15-minute webinar, in, in air quotes, for any customer or potential customer, and the only thing you're going to talk about is your different cabinet levels and styles. That sounds like such a stupid I, thing to I do a webinar on. I think that amazing, and I don't know why they... I think it sounds stupid, but I mean, from a, someone who's been around maybe longer and like, that just sounds so inefficient, and everyone's going to have very specific, separate individual questions... Andrew thinks it sounds yeah. interesting. Becca, well, I, I think it's yeah. I think it's the thing that separates new from existing. Like you don't get that with, with existing. You don't get to you don't you don't have the choice. And then I think it is an opportunity for the builder to be like, look, we love cabinets. Like we're freaks. Like we love building homes. We love floors. We love <laughs> insulation. Like I don't know things that like you talk with like Elena Manning. She is passionate about what she does. I think even if the most exciting person is not the one presenting the information about the cabinets, but at least yep. 20 minutes on cabinets, like cool for the person that's like highly engaged with their buying process and really wants to, to build. Like, I think, I think yeah. I watch it. And if you don't know about building, you've never built a home before. You don't know what to expect. So having 20 minutes to go over cabinets to find out, you know, there's, here's the base stuff and here's how fancy you can go. Then all of a sudden you're, increasing the customer experience and improving their knowledge at the same time. Yeah. And it could be a mix of like live mm-hmm. content in the studio. And then yeah. if they have the technical ability to pull up, here's 
20 pictures, let's review what the outcome looks like as far as the different cabinets and depths and heights. My point was just, if you can save five to 10 minutes in a design studio process or, you know, let people think some of these, do we, do we need a full overlay cabinet? What is a full overlay cabinet? Most people don't even, yeah. Right. So Googling. Yeah, if we can just save people five to 10 minutes to make that whole process for the builder more efficient, because we have builders right now who are saying, you know, the design studio is six weeks behind schedule. We've got, wow. like if we continue at our normal pace, we're never going to catch back up unless no more sales happen for six weeks. So marketers have to be thinking about ways to make everyone more efficient in their company while still providing better and better service and virtual events. I think have a part of the answer to that because they can be recorded. They can be available in a library. And again, differentiated yeah. from a, this is how we install cabinets. This is how the construction process goes or what yeah. to expect about mm-hmm. warranty issues. That's not, we're just talking about just basic education. Yeah. Stuff, and if yeah. you have a mini series of all the components that go into the house, so you already have an idea of what you're looking for when you go to the design center, it might be less overwhelming to go to the design center. I know for us to make every selection for the entire house in one three hour visit was an awful lot. And mm-hmm. I had already spent quite a bit of time in in a builder, working for a builder. So I kind of knew how that went. If I didn't have any idea, I would have been totally overwhelmed. And yeah, I, I just think, again, back to my let's have a fight comment is, <laughs> Virtual events have, in total, for the builders that we work with, probably done more than virtual sales in terms of the absolute number of transactions that are clearly connected to those events happening. Super cool. Do you think the platform matters? Or that's like, just figure out one that you're able to use easily and... No, I, I, I think it, you know, each one, there's different, there's different trade-offs for everything for sure. But that's where, again, builders who could have a real event have said to me, we're just going to do virtual again. Like our state, our health issues allow it, but we just, this is easier and better for everyone. Yeah. Uh, other, you know, the grand opening of a model home, that might be different. And builders are definitely finding creative ways to, to make that happen as well. But, you know, maybe, maybe in that case, you are once the health issues are gone. By the way, shout out to Ananth from uh, EYA on the East Coast, uh, another one of our favorite builder partners, he came up with the best, I don't, I'm don't. i sure he didn't steal it from somewhere, but if he did, I'm sorry, because I'm giving it to him as credit. But he, we were talking about the five <laughs> Ps of marketing. And he's like, well, and you know, the fifth P is pandemic. Ah. <laughs> that, was, that was awesome. We'll, we'll keep building on that one. <laughs> All right, let's hop over to the news. We talked about the weekly, check that out. That'll be in the show notes. Fantastic video series that Professional Builder is putting on. First up from Zillow.com, small little real estate site yeah. you may have heard of. Startup. Um, yeah. More remote work opportunities may make suburbs more desirable. I kind of want to cross out the word may, but they're, they're having the data. And this is an article from May 13th. And so this has become certainly more clear, I think. Um, you know, just talking about more three quarters of Americans working from home because of the virus. Wow. So they want to continue if given the option. And two thirds say they would consider moving if given that flexibility to do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's really cool. That, that seems, that's a higher number than I was expecting of people who say that working from home has kind of turned out all right for them. I think they're, yeah. they think they hit their kids somewhere. 
I was going to say, I wonder what percentage, how closely that correlates to children, especially young children being present. Yeah. I don't know if you saw me muting and unmuting, but I'm like, who is up there that just escaped out of their room and is like running around all crazy, (laughs) like directly underneath the room, but usually they're perfect. But yeah, that's, yeah. I think if I wish builders would sell that more as far as talk, I think we talked about this, like talking about the floor plans. Yeah. It's just last week or two weeks ago, LGI, a space for everyone. Like this is pretty much in line with like, I think that's why they would consider moving because it needs to be yep. better space for them. Well, um, and John Burns Real Estate Consulting put out a stat that that from their research, when they asked people, why did you choose to purchase a home in the past two months? 69% of respondents cited COVID-19 as the reason they purchased. Wow. 31% yeah. said they were planning to purchase before COVID-19. That's also pretty amazing, which is why the fifth P is pandemic. The fifth P. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Oh, all right. Moving on. This one, I think we're going to have some fun discussion on. We just talked about one of our favorite tools and apparently we shouldn't have because they said, holy cow, if we're getting the rubber stamp endorsement from Do You Convert, we need to change our pricing structure. (laughs) Unbounce.com is our landing page tool of choice. Also great for sticky bars and pop-ups. They have adjusted from a flat fee per landing page or per sticky bar size account to a per conversion account model. That doesn't sound like a big deal. I mean, still, for $120 a month, you can get up to 1,000 conversions and 30,000 visitors uh, to view a sticky bar or landing page. Andrew, why is that sad? It just, that- feels, it just feels like I'm being punished. Like I'm getting leads and you're going to charge me more. That's that's my initial <laughs> like, ugh, like you're being mean to me. But I do, I think their intent is they want you, so pages are unlimited, mm-hmm. correct? Nine, they now want now, you now to everything be- is unlimited. Your only, your only gate is conversion amount. Yep. The domains I'm not a fan of, but that might just because of the way we have things connected. That looks like domains went down, but I'm sure you could add on a cost mm-hmm. per domain or something. So they want you testing more. And I think this might support that the way there was that three weeks ago, we talked about how they're like, click a button, you have landing pages. Yep. And then they're just like making landing pages, testing, testing, testing. They know what offers mm-hmm. work for if you're a pizza restaurant, whatnot, they know what works, coupons and things like that. So I think it supports that. Otherwise they would end up charging you money to run that versus trying to get you more conversions. Yeah. But I still don't like, I feel like I'm being punished. Like, because what if your conversion rate is 20%? That's, not well, just of, think about some of the master plan projects we've worked on where, you know, they're yeah. going to get yeah. 500, 800 leads a month, potentially. Yeah. For one. For one community. community. Yeah. If you're at 15%, how is the math on that? A thousand conversions, 15%. I'll do 20%. Yeah. You'll, you'll quickly go up to the higher brackets than you weren't before. Now but it's still like... The brackets are $800 a month to $300 a month. And then there's tiers above that that you have to call to get pricing so on. So once I calm down from being really upset by the obvious cash grab that this is, I was like, you know what? In that scenario, if someone was getting 3,000 leads a month, so you had multiple coming soon communities and you're a larger, larger builder, we're talking 300 bucks a month. Mm -hmm. And on a per lead basis, right? Landing pages, again, can, this is our first ever episode, episode one, landing pages forever sometimes. Oh yeah. (laughs) Sometimes. So we, we think they have great uses because you can go from an average of a 1% or 1.5% conversion rate to 5, 10, 20%. Mm-hmm. So that means you're driving down your cost per lead significantly. And so to add on another 
I mean, un- Unbounce is like the new stamp, essentially. Like, yeah. does it cost more to send a stamp than it did yesterday or 10 years ago? Sure. Is it still amazing that for whatever that cost is, I can send a, a, something from Columbus to Seattle and it'll show up in three days? Yeah. Like, it, it still doesn't equate to the value that I get from it. So for, for five cents, 10 cents a lead, at the end of the day, it's still, it's still our preferred tool and we'd like, to, like you to do that. But for those of you who are like, wait, this doesn't sound like what they told me about. Now, there is also a smaller, used to be the minimum package was $100 a month. Now it's 80. So if you're a smaller builder, mm-hmm. this just became a better, more yeah, affordable more option for you as yeah. well. And that's still 500 conversions, which... Yeah, yeah, for a small builder, that should be enough. Should be fine for a month and it resets. Uh, Next up from adage.com, Google will now auto-delete more user data after 18 months. Billions of existing users will be told that they can delete their data on their own as well. So more privacy adjustments. My first reaction to this is 18 months. (laughs) Long time ago. (laughs) That's all. Anybody's still using that data. (laughs) In internet years, that's like 20. Right? (laughs) Yeah. I'm just trying to think of bigger purchases that it'd be targeted for. And I mean, yeah, home, home building is, or a home has got to be the longest or one of the longest. And so what, like what else do, would a marketer need to know? I guess maybe uh, t- t- from the e-commerce world, multiple repeat buyers is, is yeah, more helpful, something. but I, who, who needs more d- data longer yeah. than 18 months on somebody? But if you're repeat buyers, you're usually going you're, right back to the same website. You don't need to, targeting because you're, you're know what you're going to buy and you're like, yeah. I'm, I'm out. I need to buy it again. Yeah. Now, <laughs> hopefully, and it doesn't give us a ton of, of data in terms of or specific examples, just talking about data breaches and the growing concern of, you know, hoarding data. So I'm glad they're removing it. My hunch is a lot of this has to do with location-based data that Google grabs in particular, because that's just downright. Yeah. I don't I mean, think it, they said what data it is, what data it is. I don't think, which I'm like, is this, is this email? Like, is it, what is this? Like, right. Yep. Like, what are they deleting? To me, the key part of this article is near the end where it says the shift to automatically deleting information suggests that Google has found ways to wring the usefulness out of what it does collect within the given time period. And that's a, the, the basic point is none of these folks are doing anything out of the goodness of their heart. Right. The fact that Facebook said, you know what, we're not going to let you just type in anything you want because you don't need to and it's better. And so we're going to make more money. You're going to make more money. You don't need to target people that way anymore. Yeah, we got it. Obviously, Google has said kind of what we just said at the beginning. What useful information do I, why do I need to keep that longer than 18 months? The risks outweigh the rewards for us, mm-hmm. which is, it's just a good insight into how fast technology companies, especially, can figure out who we are and what motivates us and drives us is darn impressive. And I was so, going to say, like, I wonder if they, so they got, they're getting rid of the, the raw data, mm-hmm. but not the outcome. Like they're keeping the outcome. I would imagine. No, no. Yeah. The learning, they're always they're learning. I mean, like they're like, here's Andrew Peak Cause they got my email. They'd know me. Mm-hmm. They're building this like second life version of me and their <laughs> server without my name somehow or something to make it private. So they don't need yep. the raw data anymore. It's totally creepy. Next up from searchengineland.com, the need for mobile speed. Small improvements have a big conversion impact. And we're going to tell you the the data here. Uh, Retail conversion increased 8.4%. Average order value increased 9.2%. 
when a website was merely 0.1 seconds faster in site speed. Travel conversions, 10.1%. Luxury brand page views per session increased 8.6%. And lead gen pages bounce rate improvement of 8.3% on a 0.1 second. 0.1 second. Like interesting. 90 of those just happened. 90 of them. <laughs> this is obviously most likely, I imagine, written by someone who sells or, or works for a company that offers services to improve page speed. One of the ways that, that Google tried to help with this was accelerated mobile pages. That's gotten a lot of blowback. Um, it's good experience for the user, bad experience for the website who has the content because uh, it's never getting to you. Google's basically copying that content on their own servers, loading it up instantly or almost instantly uh, because of that. But I, I go back to Andrew Garberson from Bounteous and formerly Lunametrics, who at the summit for the last two years has said, hey, remember when it comes to page speed, it matters, but what matters the most is not getting it to be instantaneously fast. What matters most is that you're faster than any other competitor's site that they may want to load up, which He's not talking about Zillow. He's talking about if if Happy Acres' main competitor, Sad Acres, you know, if their website <laughs> loads at the blink acres. of an eye, and and Happy Acres is taking four seconds, that's a problem. So what you want to make sure that you're doing, not just for consumer, but also for how Google's going to ding you for that mm-hmm. from a from an organic result standpoint, because you're not fighting against uh, every other website out there. To, to rank for, for new homes in Happy Acres, just, just the competitors. Yeah, it'd be nice if they had a list of um, the common offenders for mobile speed. Like, what is it? Is it images uh, I can still? tell you the, the biggest one is, the, is, is not lo- fully loading the page until 100% of it's there. A lot of people put in JavaScript uh-huh. up that says, basically, don't display anything on the page until it's loaded to a certain percentage. Yeah, Google hates that. I hate that. Do it for me. Me too. Where it's like, you're like that's cool. I like your logo spinning. That's cute. I don't want to see that anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to sit down with Rich Ben Saka for the second time. He's back to talk about nice. the 2020 housing giants report and the insights oh. that he's seen from. There's a lot more than just the numbers. They ask a ton of other questions that that really help us understand where builders were at pre. COVID, as well as what likely continues on in the current environment that we're in. So we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back with Rich. We're back with Rich Bensaka, the Editor-in-Chief of Professional Builder. Rich, thanks so much for joining us again. Oh, no problem, Kevin. Glad to be on. You guys put out your Home Builder or 2020 Housing Giants list not too long ago. And I said, we've got to get Rich back on because uh, you <laughs> eat and breathe and, and sleep this stuff. Uh, and th- for full context, everyone, this list is compiled before... Uh, someone today on a, on a call, Rich, said that the fifth P of marketing is pandemic, <laughs> not people anymore. <laughs> this is all this information and the items we're going to be talking about was was curated and and received from builders long before anyone knew what COVID nineteen was. Correct? 
Right. Yeah. We survey, this survey is intense. We ask a lot of, of the builders who we survey to, to give us a ton of information. So it takes a while. And so it takes us a while to gather it. And we start soliciting surveys back in December of the, of the previous year. So it's December, 2019. And we collect things through, I think this year it was into March. So there was an awareness, but obviously, you know, the rankings are based on uh, the previous year's revenue. And then obviously we collect, you know, closings and, and profit margin and things like that. So uh, it is a look back, but the, some of the questions that we ask, you know, are pre-COVID questions. And, and if we get to those, we'll, we'll kind of qualify those. Yeah, well, and it's, it's, a, that, it's like a time capsule. Yeah. My kids just dug up a time capsule from the backyard <laughs> that they planted three years ago because uh, it's just fun to, to look back, especially when so much has changed or it feels like so much has changed. But I think to your point, there's a lot more than just the numbers. So obviously I've, I've yep. watched this list for the last uh, 17 years, I think that I've been in, in home building, but there's, there's way more to it. And we'll link to Rich's article that he wrote as well to give some insights, but we thought it'd be fun to unpack and go beyond the numbers. Let's just start with, with some of the big picture trends would be my first question for you, Rich. Even before 2020, it seems like consolidation and the, the big builders just keep getting bigger was a theme. Is there anything else that, that you think is interesting to pull out of the numbers? Well, yeah, I think I, well, that's certainly, you know, we wrote about that last year for Housing Giants. We did, we, we, the intro to the special report that we do every year on this list is, was about consolidation. And, and 2018 was a very active year. And 2019 certainly continued some of that activity. It wasn't as active. But yeah, I mean, you look at the top 20, which are primarily public builders, you know, they do 24% of all housing starts or I'm sorry, closings in 2019. And that went up from 20%. And really, you know, they're doing that primarily through consolidation. And they're basically using, you know, what I call the magnificent middle, which I wrote about this year, uh, the ones ranked from 21 to 150 uh, as a farm system. Mostly, I mean, these are really well-run companies for the most part, and and larger builders are looking at you know new market opportunities. Where can they go geographically? Where can they go from a housing type or price point standpoint? And they look at some of these builders and they say, "Man, this guy's really doing it great," and you know maybe that's a, a target for consolidation. So it's definitely continuing. You know, some other trends that we see is you know kind of where they consider their challenges and opportunities to be, and certainly market expansion was one of the opportunities that jumped up more than any other. In 2018, it was, you know, they reported 24% of the, of the giants reported that market expansion was something one would look at. And in 2019, it was 35%. Mm. So those are the ones that, you know, so we're seeing a, a big jump in, in wanting to expand. And again, that's either geographically or into, into new uh, target market opportunities. What's interesting about acquisition, I, I feel like, and I don't like to use the word feel a lot, but early in my career, it seemed like it was more likely that builders would sell out to another builder simply for their lot inventory. or And the people were often not included in, in the transaction. And, and that definitely seems to have shifted. And I remember a conversation when the private builder that I worked with in Pittsburgh was acquired by a public. Everyone was concerned uh, because they were already in our market, but they were expanding to gain market share, that, that we were going to let people go because of duplication. And the CEO was like, oh my gosh, no. Like we, there, there'd be no way for us to find another 80 good people in the business to, to manage it well, right. to do what needs to be done. And partly because of the Great Recession, you know, that p- 
people in all aspects, not just subcontractors, but but good managers, good division presidents, good coordinators, and I mean, just as these builders and and public builders by their nature, you have to keep getting more and more returns and growth is a big part of the stock market, not just continued, you know, making the same amount of money last year as this year isn't going to, isn't going to help the stock price necessarily. Right. So expansion is necessary for them and they, they need people. And so I just think that's also been interesting to watch how, how the people are almost as valuable, certainly not as valuable, but almost as valuable as the lots that people are acquiring. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, well, and you know, as again, you know, when we ask builders in this survey, again, what are their biggest challenges? You know, by far, well, not by far, in, in this year or coming into 2020, the biggest challenge was land availability. That's, mm-hmm. That was more than, more than skilled labor, more than any other. And that kind of jumped over the scarcity of skilled labor from the previous year. So clearly land is an issue. And I think it is a big part of, of market expansion, of, of what the larger builders are looking to do and, and seeing this kind of dearth of land and, and going to, you know, different markets or like you said, in the same market, even to somebody who's got some lots that they can leverage. But, but, you know, I mean, you know, this, I mean, mergers and acquisitions in our industry you know, run the gamut. It could be, I think what's different from maybe, you know, 15, 20 years ago is that builders are looking for companies that are really well run. They're yeah. looking for companies that are profitable, certainly have land inventory, but, but really, you know, looking to just kind of you know put them into the fold, if you will, kind of create this this conglomerate. Not even really change anything about what they're doing. They just want to get a piece of the of the profits and 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 help them, you know, maybe get more efficient. Combine maybe some administrative or back office type of technology. Are you talking about the Clayton uh, acquisition specifically? And it sounds well, like they're they're kind of the model. I, yeah. I would say yeah. I mean, they're they're not looking to say everybody's going to be named Clayton. And in fact, right, I talked right. to somebody, a company that, that was purchased by Clayton recently, and they said, you know, really nothing's changed for us. They, they mm-hmm. basically leave us alone. They've given us, you know, some financial wherewithal to, to improve things internally, but, but really it's just uh, they liked what we did and they wanted to be a part of it. They wanted to help us grow. So, yeah. so I, I think that that's, that's what you're seeing more of rather than kind of, you know, buying something, tearing it down, renaming it, um, you know, hiring new people, which doesn't make any sense to me anyway. But, um, yeah, especially not that, when you know, there is no, there's no, there's no brand that is so powerful in our business. Unfortunately, nationwide, <laughs> there is no, I mean, I just, the joke is always, you can take any of the builders in the top 20, add the word sucks onto it. And you probably found a website, <laughs> uh, right? So there's just no, yeah. no one whose name is so all powerful that you should destroy the company you're acquiring simply as a, as an, well, of course, that's what we need to do. There, there certainly needs to be more thought yeah. put into it than there used to be. Well, there's certainly backlash. And I think to your point, I, I think that some of the publics have maybe in the past, maybe even currently, you know, have, mm-hmm. have challenges reputationally. And so if, if somebody can, let's say a Pulte comes in or a KB, you know, those are, those are really good companies, but they do have people that don't like them simply because they build to a volume where you're just going to get, you know, and you're going to have issues. So yeah, right. but if Pulte came in and said, I'm going to buy this, this local builder who everybody knows and loves, and I'm going to rename it Pulte. I think they realize that there's a backlash there and that, that, that it's, it's not positive. So why not yep. just keep this equity uh, and, and build off of it? The publics, a lot of them are fantastic companies. Again, they're, they're certainly well run. That's why they continue to, to scale the way they do is they, they watch the details. But they're almost boring. I love you, 
those of you who are listening, I, I love all my public folks. <laughs> but but I want to talk more about what did you call them? The the missing middle, the lost middle, what, what? The, the magnificent middle. Magnificent. Yeah. That's that's and, better. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I just I just felt like they they do deserve credit, and I and you know I'm a middle child, so sometimes that <laughs> uh, that drives some of the things that I do, and I that's root funny. for a 500 you know team baseball team, and and uh, it's not necessarily something that. Uh, that gets a lot of attention. And, and in fact, they don't, they build less than 10% of all, uh, all house uh, home closings, um, a year. And, so and we're not talking this, 21 this through 150. That's the magnificent 21 through 150. Yeah. Wow. So, and, and to give that some perspective, you know, number 21 had 1.3 billion in revenue on a little over 3,200 closings in 2019 and number 150 made 94 million on about 197 closings. So that's that's the spread we're looking at. I mean, it's a pretty wide spread. Obviously, all they're both production builders. All of them in there are. Um, and, you know, I just thought, let's take a look at that group. Um, and what's interesting is that, you know, they're mostly local or small regional. Um, the, the number 21 builder builds exclusively in Texas. Um, so isn't a regional builder, but builds, you know, 3,200 units in Texas, single family detached. But you know, collectively, that swath, that magnificent middle, you know, collected forty-one billion dollars in in revenue, and and that's money that's used at their local communities. We're not talking about big cities here. We're talking about Roseville, California. We're talking about you know, Cary, North Carolina. I mean, these yeah. are not major metropolitan areas, and so they are contributing to their communities. They're part of their communities. And what was interesting when I really took a look at it, because I kind of knew it intuitively, but I, I looked at it more closely and. You know, we run a program called the National Housing Quality Award, and it recognizes operational excellence among builders. And I just looked at the last 10 years of NHQA uh, award recipients, and it's not an easy thing to get. It's, it's tough. You got to be really good at what you do. Yes. And all of them are in that, that magnificent middle group. So, and, and, you know, our builders of the year, we recognize a builder of a year as our builder of the year, and seven of the last 10 have been in the magnificent middle group. So, you know, we, we see them that they do it right. And again, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, they are the ones that the larger builders, the publics are looking at and saying, uh, boy, that's a really great company. You know, do we want to, you know, look at them as, as a potential merger or acquisition? Yeah. We, we love that, that group as well. I don't know the number offhand, but we did a quick analysis at the beginning of this year. And I want to say we work with almost 37% or so of that middle group. And wow. we just love them because they're, they're not big enough to overly make, make anything overly complicated or, or slow to change. And when you make a couple of adjustments with builders in that range, it is a hockey puck like transformation in terms of sales or, or profit results yeah. or whatever it is. And they're just a, Again, public builders have a whole other set of, of fun things that you get to do and try and work on because of their scale. But in terms of quick wins that, that you, like you're just constantly hitting singles and doubles and in a public, you, you know, you're, you're swinging more for triples and home runs. And so you're not going <laughs> right. to hit as many of them. But yeah. that, that group is just, yeah. And, and the NHQ winners, winners, we've worked with many of them over the years. That is an extremely difficult thing to get. and. I think what's also interesting is that public companies generally pride themselves on operational excellence. Um, yeah. But some of these NHQ winners, winners would probably give them a run for their money 
in terms of the technological advances that they put in place. That's where some of the publics are falling behind in technology because the scale of replacing that technology is so hard for them. Whereas right. this middle group can, point. Yeah. Know, hey, we're going to switch systems and yeah, it's going to be annoying, but we can, we can do it if it's going to make us better. Yeah, I, I think certainly they're nimble. I think that, you know, I think the other thing is that, that some of them do compete directly with publics. And so they, they need to be right. more nimble. They need to, yes. they need to find competitive edge, right? They need to, if you're not going to be able to fight them on, on price, you've got to come up with something better. And if that's a user experience or that's, you know, a way to connect uh, from a sales and marketing standpoint, that's a little bit more sophisticated or, or certainly more personal or, or, or customizable. I think they look at it again as local builders in their local community saying, this is my turf. You know, I, I know this community really well. Take advantage of that. And, and so I think they are a little bit more forward thinking uh, and able, like you said, to kind of integrate that, that technology or those innovations uh, more easily and more quickly. Well, Rich, I wouldn't have necessarily thought that we'd still have to talk about continuing shifts in the marketplace due to the <laughs> pandemic the next time that we would talk. But I'm, I'm glad that we are because that means we were talking sooner than I expected us to talk again too. Right. Anything else about this list that you want to chat about before we shift over to just kind of outside of the list, other things that you're hearing and seeing builders react, reacting to and doing? Yeah. One thing that kind of surprised me, but I, 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 think it's a, I don't think it's a bad thing. Um, because I'm, I'm kind of on the, I kind of lean toward being efficient and, and, and looking at ways, multiple ways to, to kind of reduce costs, whether that's reducing waste, whether it's reducing, you know, kind of relooking at your plans and finding ways to be more efficient, whether it's building materials or whatever. I was interested to see that, that the size of, of new homes by square footage across the board are basically dropping. Um, I think we see that nationally, but you know, among the giants, you know, you see, especially in the starter home market, you know, went from little bit, about 2,200 square feet down to a little more than 1,900 one year to the next. Which, you know, one year to the next, 11 percent, almost 12 percent drop in size of home, you know, tells you something. Now, is that going to sustain? Because you know, we're not going to be building as many, you know, higher density, smaller footprint homes coming out of COVID, uh, you know, I don't know, that remains to be seen. I'll be interested to see what this is next year. But even among the high end, second move up and, and above, we saw a slight downtick in, in square footage of, of the average home. So, yeah. you know, I, I think that that's, that's something, but we also saw prices across the board in those three kind of, you know, starter, first move up, second move up and, and above, we saw the prices of the homes increase, um, mostly among starters. And so, I think that uh, you know builders are nervous about about housing prices and it's their it's it's impact on on uh, their ability to continue to sell. But again, you talked about a time capsule. I was thinking when you said that it was three years. I was thinking we could have done one three months ago and yeah. pulled it up today and and been like, huh, okay, well that was interesting. I mean, I you know it seems like things change so quickly right now and, yep. and uh, uh, it's difficult to kind of put your finger on on what's going to be happening and what is happening. Well, what is happening for sure is that we are in the best housing market, I believe, of my entire career that I'll ever see. Interest rates low, free money sloshing around the economy, people having to and choosing to make choices. John Burns had interesting, I think it was over 60% of people looking at a home right now are named COVID as an impetus for their search being kicked off. So they're choosing to move, they need to move, they're willing to spend more money than ever on a home as a percentage of their total household payments for the month. It's amazing that, that, that we're in this period we're in right now. But I do, and land is a slower thing to see the, the changes happen in. But 
you would imagine, or I'm curious if you've heard any anything or incidental stories about builders being more open to looking further out than than they were before to find the answer yeah. to that affordability problem. For sure. Yeah, I think I think that's definitely something to, to really keep an eye on. And I think that and I think there's a couple of factors of that that are COVID related. One is that you know, in our company, it's it certainly was was proven out that people can work effectively remotely um, mm-hmm. using technology, disciplining themselves to to work productively from home, finding a place in the home to to actually you know work. And I think you're, you're going to see companies that are going to say, look, you know, we don't need you in the office, you know, every day nine to five or whatever. Um, if you come in twice a week or you come in when you have when it's the best time to kind of uh, collaborate with your team, when, and that's the best way to do it. Fantastic, but otherwise, work from home. And I think you that allows people who say, "I really don't want to commute. I don't want to use public transportation to commute. I really don't want to get on the road to commute." The thing that was keeping me away from those farther out uh, developments or or housing where it was affordable or more affordable aren't there anymore. I, I don't have to worry about that. And if there's enough infrastructure around that area that serves my daily needs. Um, you know, a Starbucks, whatever, yeah. Yeah. then I'm good. And I, I'll go out there because I'm not looking at a long commute or using public transportation to get into an office. Um, and I think even offices, I think it will see some changes because they won't need as many as much square footage to accommodate as many people when you've got these kind of, you know, it might be just a couple of really nice conference rooms and some cubes and that's all you need. Or, yeah, or just a lot more conference rooms for sure. I mean, those people right. who work for larger companies, yeah. there was already people fighting over who gets the conference room when. And now that yeah. is potentially, in a lot of cases, the only reason to be in an office is to have meetings and conferences. So, Well, I was going to say, it's just, just optimizing the opportunities to come into the office. Why, why do I need to go there? I can get on a Zoom call with my team and it's just as effective. But if there are opportunities, and I, I value going into the office. and I, I miss the opportunity to do that. I work from home 100%. Uh, the office is 2,000 miles away. So I don't commute and wouldn't commute. But I have been in offices and there is value there. And so I think you just be, yep. now we get the chance to kind of pick and choose those opportunities and optimize them rather than, than it just be kind of the, the way things are. Yeah, I think some people are predicting that the office will become essentially another perk. Oh, you work for a company that has an office? Cool. So you get to escape every <laughs> while and go there. But I do think it was funny. I was right. on a coaching call this week with someone who, you know, the, the office and the internet in the office was not as good. So it was laggy and slow. And they were just cursing like, man, I wish I was home on my own Wi-Fi. It's much, so much faster. <laughs> and then right. previously, that same person had had issues with uh, young children getting, trying to get in the snack bin behind them when we're on call. And yeah. it was kind of like, yeah. oh, this is annoying. But then when they were back in the office, they're like, I can't hear you. I'm sorry. My coworkers are so loud. And they had to go find headphones. And like, they're just like, man, this is all these other people here. They're doing work. But yeah. But get me back home. <laughs> it's right. Yeah. And I think that's... Uh, so I think that, that you see that. I think also, you know, you can build bigger out there. So maybe it's something where you know, somebody says, look, I want to make sure I am going to be working from home. So I want a dedicated mm-hmm. home office. Maybe my spouse or somebody else in the, in the household also needs an office or we need an office slash study place in case we have to, you know, homeschool again or or we're choosing to homeschool now or you know, a place to exercise um, because I'm not going to go back to the gym or, or whatever. The gym's now far too far away and there's no gym here. So I want that, that availability, more outdoor space, which is what I think we're seeing just generally as a trend. But it's been, I don't want to go all the way out there to get that. I'll, I'll stay in a, you know, closer to town and just sacrifice that. Well, maybe you don't have to anymore. So I think you're, I think builders who, and developers who look at that land now and say it was too far out, 
a year ago or six months ago are now looking at it and saying, if we build it right, people will come and they don't have to suffer some of the things that, that we always heard that they were suffering for going this far out. I think the other thing that's been interesting, and you guys wrote an article about this on June 25th at the probuilder.com site, about homes being snatched up in record time. And yet I can't find it quickly offhand, but I think I also read something that you guys posted or shared on social media about builders still offering discounts or incentives or, or lowering prices. Yeah. That What's was, going that on was there? something that came out from... <laughs> <laughs> well, I think... Well, you know, again, you know, you look at national data and we all know that home building is local. So yeah. I think that, you know, there's probably some places where, you know, the uptick in sales, the uptick in traffic is not necessarily happening or certain certain for certain price points, maybe not, you know, builders, certainly we don't, we don't feel like there's an inventory issue. I don't think that it's a matter of, you know, too much, too many homes. I think it, as you said on our, on our weekly broadcast today with Denise, uh, Denise Durston, our editorial director, um, you know, builders are pushing, pushing buyers out uh, because they, they just know that they can't, they can't start the home for a while, but they're, they're not turning away the contract. Mm-hmm. And setting that expectation. So I think that you know what NHB reported and we were we shared on social media yesterday was that compared to the Great Recession, where at its peak in March of 20, 2007, I think it was, or May of two thousand seven, fifty two percent of builders reported that they had they were discounting pricing, which is just remarkable. And what we reported was that in April, it was something like 22%. And in May, it had dropped down to 15%. So we're seeing a trend going down. And I think that reflects what you were talking about earlier, which is builders don't have to. Maybe, again, certain pockets, but 15% dropping you know, that are still discounting, I think that's just circumstantial. I don't think it's, it's any kind of a, a trend. And I think we're going to see it go down further. I'm remembering now, we just talked about this on our last podcast, S- some things that are classified as discounts might just be standard builder policy. You know, if you use our in-house lender, you get two grand off the home. And so depending on how that's, that survey was done and taken, yeah, I wouldn't consider that to be a discount in, in reality. Right. And, and maybe, and I think builders do too. And, and, you know, there's still similar problems. You're trying to close out a community, right? You're trying to, you're trying to get that off yep. your books and you've got one that's, you know, at the front corner of a busy highway, it's like, well, you know, I, I'm just going to discount that to get it off the books. And so you do. And so, you know, it's, it's a lot of things. But I think that the point was that based on, if you look back at the, at the Great Recession, the kind of beginnings in, in the first, you know, couple of, of first year, certainly, much, much more prevalent, much, much more necessary. And, and builders really didn't do that during the COVID shutdown. So I think that's, that's obviously a good thing for them. Yeah. And again, too many leads, too many people asking for more information, too much walk-in traffic. Those are the main concerns, questions that that builders that we work with in particular are having to wrestle with of, I just can't, we cannot talk to any more people. So how do we set up more roadblocks, slow people down? We talked today with someone about requiring either potentially a phone call or a FaceTime or Zoom call with a prospect before you allow them to go to the model because they just can't have, due to health concerns, too many people in at a time and they're just out of slots. And so, yeah, yeah, it's uh, that's why I say yeah. it's, it's that, the that, yeah. best ever. But, uh, well, as you would say, it's, it's, it's you know, pick your problem, right? I mean, I think that you know, those are challenges, they're real challenges. You don't want to, you, you've been taught to, to treat every prospect as a, as a potential sale, and so you don't want to. 
you don't want to, you know, redo that habit. But I think that, you know, the answer is, like you said, put up some more gates and say, you know, we need to qualify these people even more and set expectations realistically. You know, this is something where we'd love to have you come out, but the next available appointment is in a week. And, you know, and, and set that expectation so that you're communicating, but uh, but you're not overstressing or not able to handle, you know, the requests uh, as best you can. All right. I want to end with a question that you may not want to answer. And if, and if you don't, it's okay. That's, that's why we pre-record this <laughs> okay. show. Right. What do you think builders should be watching for, or what, what is most likely to cause an end to the party that's going on right now for builders? Uh, you know, there's so many different things and it's probably going to be something that certainly we're not even going to be able to predict. But of the things that we could think of, labor shortages, material shortages, land availability, uh, not in my backyard, capital availability, consumer sentiment. Well, I think, you know, again, is there one thing? No. But I think if you look at, you know, if you look at what builders are setting themselves up for now, and, and again, I, I, I commend them for not trying to or, or over-promising when they can start and finish a house. I think that, you know, but I think at some point, Either if restrictions loosen even more on a job site and you can have more people on the site, um, you know, whether we get back to, to normal, if you will, or not, you know, that and inspections become something that are a little bit more normalized. Although, you know, we did run a piece about virtual inspections that I think is going to be a trend that, that takes off. Mm. Uh, that just seems to be so effective in getting, you know, keeping the project going through its pipeline. But I, I think, you know, the labor issue is still going to be and will rear its head and be something that that causes builders to to slow and just it's just it's we're not <laughs> this industry is not at a point where it can handle much more volume unless it pushes the cycle time out and says it's not only going to take longer to start it's going to take longer to finish and you know if something happens in the economy or something happens to consumer sentiment or or something like that you know they're going to be in trouble in that they've got these commitments, but they're just so far out that that they're really causing problems in terms of keeping their buyers happy. Now they do are they are locked in, I suppose, but it's just you know you want that to be a good experience. I think it's going to threaten it. So I yeah. think that's a that's still an issue that's out there that isn't really being solved. And and I think that you know we're we're living the high in the hog, and we've done this before. You and I have both been through several cycles where you know, that the industry looks great and maybe it looks the best it's ever been right now. But I'm a little wary of that only because I think, you know, builders tend to get a little lazy and a little loose when things are great and it comes back to bite them. And uh, I don't really yep. know what that is down the road. But for me, labor is the number one issue that this industry needs to solve and it's really not being addressed. I think I completely... Uh, yeah, I, I I agree with that. I, I'm thinking through a couple different thoughts. One is just setting expectations on timing is one thing. Getting them in on that time frame is another. And, and but the final and ultimately most important piece that builders are unfortunately too quick to dismiss the ultimate importance of is building that house well. So so the final mm -hmm. quality of the yeah. product is and and that's what leads to a lot of the the brand and and trust and and use the builder's face. And that's likely to end up showing up in certain spots if we fast forward a year and a half from now is someone's going to have a big warranty issue. Some product will fail or, you know, at scale be installed incorrectly and come back to haunt us. And the skeptic of me says, 
most builders say that's fine. You know, but we we have profits to take care of that. But the the yeah. long term benefit for those who do it well and are really thinking about because I've asked the, a, a lot of builders that same question: What are you seeing and doing on the labor front? And right now they're saying, well, you know, my foundation guy said he's willing to work overtime and not charge me overtime. Basically, he's he's willing to help me catch up because they're just so happy to have the work. Yeah, yeah. But that'll that that won't last. No, uh, that won't. It can't. And I and no. I think that you know we'll be back where we started or worse. You know, a year and a half from now, and nothing really have been done. The only thing I can say is that builders who do recognize it as being a problem, and from you from your point, you know. So let's say you push somebody out, so they're already a little disappointed, and then you're going to push them out even farther because it's going to take long to build. And you've set that expectation, and they understand it intellectually, but emotionally, they're like, <laughs> "When are we going to get in this house? Right, you know, right. come on!" And, think, and maybe think about how upset. Think about how upset. Well, I'll tell you how upset I get when Amazon says it's going to be two days, and then it shows up on the fourth day. Right. <laughs> so right, and the package is bent up, and you're like, "Oh, come on!" You know, so. But yeah, so the experience has already been a little less than you'd hoped, at best, a little less than you hoped. Mm -hmm. And now you're having quality problems, and now you're having warranty issues. And the builders got all these homes that they've done and sold and and are getting out there, and they're being overwhelmed not by necessarily necessarily by sales now, they're being overwhelmed by warranty, which costs money, erodes profit margin, gives them less flexibility to buy more land, uh, hire better people, pay the good subs. You know, you might right now, again, you know, they might be able to blow it, you know, kind of brush it off and say, I'll deal with that when it comes. But man, that's going to be a wave of potential disappointment. And and not just that, just just erosion of profit margin. And that's really not, you know, helpful to anybody (laughs) that that you do that. I used to tell my boss that it would take, I said, just go ahead and add $10,000 to my budget. This would be like 2008. 2009. Go ahead and add $10,000 to my marketing budget for every negative review or piece of content put online yeah. by a consumer because that's how much money it's going to take me to over-communicate and kind of drown out that voice. And in today's world, there's almost no amount of money that can drown out the consumer's voice. And so... right. But the yeah. great thing about this being the problem, Rich, is it's something that we can control. We can control quality as builders, yeah. not, not, not in the marketing department, yeah. if you're listening and you're thinking that's not my job, <laughs> but you can make sure you're communicating the potential dangers and the upside and the downside. Um, but there is tremendous opportunity in going through this, making sure that all of your homeowners are happy homeowners who want to continue to refer business to you. Well, construction quality is not, it's not rocket science. It, it's really about paying attention to details. It's really about setting standards and communicating them and holding people accountable to them. That's really mm-hmm. what it's about. And if you're willing to invest in really kind of having good standards, good plans, good detail, all that stuff, I mean, all the way back to your plans and your specs, but following it all the way through and committing to that, to that ethic, then you really, I mean, it's proven. You will not have as many problems. It's not even a matter of building a different way. It's just, it's, it's really building to a way that you know will deliver quality, reliability, durability, resiliency. So that you don't have these back-end warranty issues that really do erode both profits and reputation. And, and that's just not something I think builders can afford long-term. Yeah, I even I give permission to anyone listening right now with the market being so good and with leads overwhelming sales teams online and on site both. It's okay. At times I did, I really did do this. You can go ask people at Heartland. I would donate marketing and advertising dollars to construction or warranty and say, let's just make it all better. 
<laughs> yeah. tell me what you need. Right. Uh, it's, it's not right. as crazy as it sounds. And the Magnificent Middle are right. set up in, in particular to pull that off well. So Definitely. And do. Well, yes. Rich, thanks again for hopping on with us and giving us all this fantastic insight. Again, we'll link to the to the list as well as Rich's article and on that middle group and, and uniquenesses that are there among them. Great. Well, hey, it's always a pleasure to be on, Kevin, and I appreciate the time. Absolutely. And also, yes, be sure to check out... It's called The Weekly, right? Tell everyone what The Weekly it's is. It's called The Weekly. Yeah. Every Thursday on probuilder.com slash Horizon TV. And it's our weekly broadcast. We have three segments uh, with interesting people like Kevin Oakley. And it's on every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific. It's really fun. And you guys are also... Are we allowed to talk about the other thing you guys are working on? Or is that still <laughs> sure. top secret? Yeah. There, there's something else. No, that, I don't think it's... Uh, just a complete focus on new trends, innovations, and, and, and technology, right? T- tell everyone what that's about. Yes. Utopia. Yes. Utopia. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Tell everyone what yeah. Utopia is. Oh, sorry. Yeah. It's, I, I don't want to say I'm distanced from that, but it is somebody else's realm. And, and uh, Got it. It's, yeah, it's really exciting. We're, contri- we're contributing from the standpoint of, of helping them develop ideas and, and find people to contribute to it. But yeah, Utopia um, is something that is, like you said, a new channel for us. It is going to be focused on kind of quick hits, you know, good, uh, timely, and compelling content for housing industry professionals, um, not just builders, but, but others that are, that are in that realm, architects, developers, uh, engineers, all those folks, uh, remodeling contractors, certainly. And yeah, so when it launches, you know, we can, we can chat about it and, and certainly be on the lookout for it. Uh, yeah, I'm just excited to have one place where it sounds like everyone who's pulling or trying to pull the rest of the industry along with them, that's going to be where they live on Utopia. Right. They're going to live in utopia. That's what we're trying to get to. So that's hence the name. And don't be scared that it's the utopia that's going to survive. So um, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right, Rich. Thanks again for hopping on. Sure. Thanks, Kevin. Take care. Absolutely. See ya.